1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabonna podcast. Once again, I'm Musa Konga, joined by Ryan Hun. Michael De Silva is indisposed. Just, just no, us just, two again. <laughs> no, the roving reporter Michael's just out, busy, out and about on the beat as ever. Uh, we're, joining you, we're joining you again to discuss the future of football. You can't whinge about uh, the weather this week either. It's glorious. It is glorious. That's true. I don't whinge about the weather. I just state facts. Straight facts. Listen, today it's gorgeous. It's eight degrees. It started off and it's going up to 13, 14 centigrade. It's a scorching. Short sleeves. Yeah, believable. Let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) Still still wearing thermals. Uh, Can I do some admin? Yep, sure, sure. Um,
2: Thanks to everyone who reached out about last week's two podcasts. You can check them still. There's an Ander Herrera interview that went up on Thursday. And also, yeah, if you are listening on iTunes, As ever, please rate, review, preferably a five-star rating. (laughs) Really helps us grow the podcast, actually. Also, first Rabona Selects went up on Friday from the Twitter account. So if you fancy seeing some Paul Pogba highlights backed by a deep Prince cut. A deep
1: Prince cut. (laughs) Actually, let me just explain what Rabona Selects is. So basically, Ryan goes on YouTube, as we all do. We love our YouTube highlights, our football highlights. Ryan goes on YouTube. (laughs) But then, yes, like a sort of movie, Ryan goes to YouTube. Ryan goes to YouTube and then finds, because Ryan is like, in another life, uh, an unbelievable DJ. And can I say that? No, shush. Really? I can't say that. Is it too late? I'm Sorry, sorry. I, I like records. Okay, he likes okay. records. Ryan likes records. So he's, he's a great he's, 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 he's a crate digger. And he sets some of our favourite highlights to incredible music, to better music, I think.
2: Yeah, the point is that we're trying to find not just, not just, oh, this is a great player and a great tune. It's actually... There's got to be a reason behind it, and eventually we're going to, um, once we've got a few under our belt, we're going to start putting them together in 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 a kind of piece for the site, and then in there we'll explain why why we've chosen. Awesome. Yeah. So next one coming this week. Uh, yeah, I'm yet to decide whether we're going to do it every Thursday or Friday, but
1: it's Thursday or Friday. I'm not sure yet. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But anyway, onto the podcast. Future football. Yes. So we are discussing the FA Cup. Where's that going to go from here? Mm-hmm. We're going to discuss contracts. Where they go from here? We will talk about. Some of the action from around the leagues, but it will be in the context of where football's evolving. So let's start. And we're
2: going to be joined later by Semra Hunter from we are. La Liga TV. We're gonna, fantastic Semra Hunter. We're going to yeah. go over some La Liga stuff. It was a big weekend in La Liga. Sounds good. When did we last do the future of football thing? Because we were going to do this regularly, like every couple of months, every few months check in.
1: We did it a few months back. I don't know if it European taught, Super
2: League? Uh, no, it was a different one,
1: wasn't it? It was Super League, actually. It was around that time. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on in, in the water. I, mean, I think we might have even discussed the Champions League being played outside Europe. Yeah, yeah. Which Libertadores actually kind of foreshadowed, didn't it? Yeah. What's changed? Well, a lot has changed, but um, also the question is what's changed? And I think that if we start with the FA Cup and the way that the FA Cup's been sort of spread out mm. over a few days each of the ties, <clears throat> to me, it takes the drama out of it.
2: Yeah, do you know what I thought you saw this weekend was two examples of how to manage the FA Cup and how not to. And the example of how to do it was the Women's FA Cup. Right. And the way not to do it was the Men's FA Cup. So the Men's FA Cup had, what, eight games? Fifth round. Spread out over four days. You know, we're recording this and the round's not complete yet. Chelsea Man United hasn't even taken place yet. So The first game was on Friday night. The last game's on Monday night. Spread out for TV. On the other side of that, the Women's FA Cup, all the ties were played on Sunday. So it's a proper FA Cup day.
1: Yeah. You know? and whereas now, what the FA Cup is, called, the Intertoto Cup, In the Intertoto Cup, it was this never-ending tournament. <laughs> the Intertoto Cup felt like a punishment for being a football fan. It felt like football would never end because the, t- the season would end. The Intertoto would start. and It would just go on forever. Like this sort of labyrinth of football. And the FA Cup now, when it's stretched over this weekend, Removes or drama, for example. I actually thought I kind of forgot that United were playing on Monday, mm. so I was like, Oh, yeah, United Chelsea. I, I thought it was gonna be on Sunday, so I kind of you know, i was sitting around waiting for it to start. I was like, I know it's tomorrow,
2: it's multi layered. This thing, for example, who, who can realistically watch all of those games on right. the weekend, right? Do you know what I mean? I can't dedicate
1: even you, yeah,
2: even me. Do you know how much football <laughs> I watch, you know, I can't even remember what the game was on the Friday, but all eight ties through the weekend all on TV. No one's got that
1: time. Wasn't it Man City Newport on the Friday? It was QPR Watford. So yeah. City was on the Saturday. They got the Friday of their lives. I know. That was hilarious. Sorry, can yeah. I just say, Guardiola, the thought of Guardiola doing chalkboards on the tactics and the, the climate. You know that Guardiola studied the climate in Newport, mm-hmm. inclement weather conditions beginning at the 50th minute. Like, they absolutely cacked themselves, Man City. I mean, that went deep. That game was Newport of
2: deep Newport fair play. They've had Listen, a great
1: tournament. I just wish it was two one. I um, wish it ended two one. I think that four one was so unfair as a scoreline, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's just the the difference between Manchester City and, you know, a team a yeah. team like Newport really. But again, I mean to the thing of like having City play that tie in amongst the others would mm. have been great. I can see the point in having maybe one game early on.
2: So Basically, this is a little bit like, you know, two dudes moaning about the FA Cup. But how good would it be, say, for example, if you had the men's FA Cup was on Saturday. Right. And the women's FA Cup was on Sunday. They're both fifth round ties. So dedicate the whole day to it. Maybe stagger the kickoff so it's 12.30, 3.30, 5.30 for TV. FA Cup day, I'd sit down, I'd watch the games. It's more fun, you know, or maybe have like a, you know how you have like a goal zone thing. They do this on zone, and they do this on, for the NFL as well, Red Zone, where they cut to the action as it's kind of, happening you know something like that so all the games are played at one time or at two to two kickoff times for example and you can cut between four different games as stuff's going on they
1: have it with champions if, League you, here, yeah, they, yeah, call, yeah. they call it conference don't they yeah, yeah. yeah. They and they uh, love that here
2: they do love it and it's actually really good because you have the option of watching an individual game or you can watch the one that jumps around when something's happened
1: i think this is the right Sorry. because the beauty of the fa cup is that you feel saturated with football that's the beauty of it. Like, you know, I know so much people on TV anyway, but the feeling of a Champions League, the reason it makes it incredible is that all these amazing teams are playing at the same time. Yeah. That's why I'm slightly annoyed by this whole, you know, one couple of teams play, a cluster of teams plays one week and a cluster of the other. I think that kind yeah. of takes away the tension. Um, I love having it all on Monday because it's just by the, by the evening, a cluster of big teams could be out. Like, that's the beauty. By Saturday night, Saturday morning, Evon sets out with their FA Cup dream and Saturday night, you know, the Giants have fallen. That and then you have is, the draw.
2: Yeah. And yeah. it's done. Yeah, I don't know. I think that women's football, especially in England, is really going to highlight how much the men's game has got it wrong. Yeah. And I understand there's a, there are a very different set of circumstances, you know, with women's football kind of like it's still a very much a developing game in terms of the professionalization of it and the commercialization commercialization of it and that's what is so appealing to so many people is that you know you have access to the players not that that should be why you watch football or not but it feels like i mean these are these are elite athletes and yet you can be five yards away from them pitch level can even get them to sign something after the game the access to watch the games as well is really good like they'll stream some on facebook or they'll be three games on option on the BBC via the red button or something like that. Yeah. It's making it accessible to people. And that's why I think so many people as well are really, really taking to the women's game. Whereas the women's game approach tends to be to try and bring people in. The men's game is kind of be like, how much can we push these people before they stop? Absolutely. And um it goes across all competitions. I mean you see in the Europa League this week, I flagged up a tweet from Tim Stillman. Stilberto wants it. At Stilberto, yeah. And he said um On Thursday night, Arsenal are kicking off at a time that is prohibitive to the majority of season ticket holders, purely so that Arsenal and Chelsea aren't on TV at the same time. And then he followed it up with that, you know, this would be great insight into the future, a fixture on TV with a less than half capacity stadium because the broadcasters have made it too difficult to attend.
1: That's wild. It's absolutely wild. And I think it's logical that's where things might well be going, because if you look at uh, the fact that... I mean, you look at the European Super League and the excitement they had there was that the revenues, the broadcast revenues they stood to gain Mm. were extraordinary if they broke away. And if you look at how, you know, the Premier League is looking to exploit markets in places like China and India. In particular, China. I was in China three days ago. I what was in you? China three days ago <laughs> on a magic carpet. <laughs> is that what you're You're going to leave that in, aren't you? you going to leave that in. <laughs> that- I, was, <laughs> I was in China three years ago um, doing some work and the Premier League were really looking to expand there in quite a big way. And if they've got an eye on that broadcast market and you know India as well, mm. I mean, this is going to be small fry what they've got now compared to that.
2: I mean, there seems to be this real thing though where the two can't be mutually beneficial it's like an either or situation i just really don't believe it has
1: to be that way well I, not to i mean we'll very briefly use the manchester United example but that was a club that thought for a long time you could separate commercial goals from sporting ones you know for the last few years oh it doesn't matter what's happened in the pitch to a reasonable degree as long as shareholder value and return is, is being maximized well actually someone eventually realized oh you do have to be successful on the pitch in Mm -hmm. order to get the revenues up. It will affect things ultimately. You know, there just need to be more football. I I hate, I'm becoming sick of saying this. How hard can it be to have actual football fans in these boardrooms? Um, I've recently read that fantastic book uh, about Johan Cruyff, uh, My Turn, which you lent me very kindly. And
2: Yeah, can I actually cut in there? If anyone hasn't read this book, please go and buy it.
1: It's amazing. I was saying to you before the podcast that I read each chapter of that book And my head feels heavier with knowledge after each chapter because Johan Cruyff here was someone who absolutely put sport at the centre of the commercial expansion and Johan Cruyff was commercial this is someone who used to ask for fee for interviews
2: this is the guy who couldn't wear three stripes on his shirt because
1: of a Puma deal absolutely this and is a guy who was acutely you know, aware of yeah had two stripes on his Holland shirt yeah like he got it he got the fact that you have to have the, the business side and, and the sporting side completely
2: um, you know he played, in, he played in America when, at a time when it was kind of more of a commercial can I just say can it, shout
1: out to Johan Cruyff um, wherever you may be listening, I, I'm sure Johan is, wherever he's twiddling the Dara we on a podcast every Monday morning. I'm sure, listen, I, I don't want to sound like a leap of faith, but wherever they get their podcasts, you know, in, in the astral realm, I'm pretty sure Johan's got us a... I hope so. Can you put us on a, can you put a review for us, Johan? Can you put a review <laughs> on our, you know, Celestial iTunes, my man, Johan, listen, just, just some oh, on out. I wish he was still here. Um,
2: but yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I think that there seems to be this thought process that the- Financial health of the game is the health of the game, yeah, and that the health of the game can can only be measured in turnover or profit or net spend or you know things like that, and it's actually really f- up. you, you know? know
1: how free market economics basically took over everything at yeah. a certain point in society, and it's happening in football now as well? Where it was like. Everything was shareholder value or GDP. The only sign of economic strength was GDP. And everyone goes, oh no, inequality is a really big thing. And I was like, no, 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 it's about growth. It's about GDP. It's about growth. It's like, no, no, inequality is really a big problem. Oh no, no, GDP, GDP is great. And then all of a sudden I was like, uh, actually inequality is like really, really a problem. Mm. Like, and it's that, the same thing's happening. Like for years, it's been about uh, growth, growth, growth. And actually, no, Inequality, not just financially, but the inequality of the match-going experience, the inequality of the football experience. Mm-hmm. And everyone's talking now, you have these players, you know, launching these these brands, these apps to engage better with players. Do you know what? Engage better with fans. Mm-hmm. It's all about how players, uh, how fans can engage better with players. But it needs to be the other way around. Yeah. Like, how can clubs engage? Yeah. And actually what's happening is you're getting people, you know, you look at even in Europe, people coming on away breaks to Germany. mm mm-hmm. Do part of the fan experience, to watch FC Union to watch Tebe in and Berlin, yeah. like the eighth division side. Or because St. Pauli or whoever. Yeah, some Pauli, that. because you know what? It's about having a <clears throat> people it's about having a nice day out. Most clubs are not gonna win a trophy.
2: Yeah, and you know what actually this is kind of um this is something where because that is so rare now, on the whole, obviously it still exists in a number of places, but especially in the top level men's game. I wonder whether that has gone to some way to contribute towards this new Age of fan, where um, it's becoming a lot more similar to the NBA in that some some fans follow the players, not the clubs. Mm. You know, um, it's like when Ronaldo left Real Madrid, he and moved to Juve. Real lost a million Twitter followers in twenty four hours. You know, so it's actually like because there isn't this involvement or engagement with the club so much anymore at, at the very, very, very highest level of the men's game, as we've seen over the weekend in in the UK with the um, the climate strike on Friday there's a new generation of young people coming through and they know what's up absolutely and they're not stupid they're already changing stuff you saw it last year with um, Parkland in the States absolutely and you've seen it in the UK this year and they're going to be in positions where they can change stuff soon Uh, uh, like uh, new models new ways of thinking and they will expect more from their football clubs than I think our generation and generations maybe just after or before us this is obviously a huge generalisation so I'm not you know it moved out of the model of traditional football clubs in our lifetime and it's gone to the point now where I think that people have kind of had enough of that and they're going to want to try and bring them back. And these young people will expect more from their football clubs than just a product because that's what they expect from their brands now. You know, you can't bullshit these kids. And I do wonder whether football at the top level of the men's game is, has enough people in there that understand this to get ahead of it before it's too late because otherwise and this is just a, a you know oh a, it's
1: fascinating now. but I, th- I think that
2: you know otherwise you're going to you're going to see the women's game rocket in terms of profile and popularity over the next two decades I think if they keep up this kind of way of thinking and model because people will want that engagement and they're not going to get it and the more that they get pushed around like in terms of kickoff times and stuff like that the more they'll just go because this they're paying This
1: is brilliant analysis by the way I'm, no I'm, Sorry. the only reason I'm listening <laughs> I'm off I'm off the, No I'm the only off. reason I'm listening is kind. I want to let listeners know, I'm generally in awe. This is a brilliant piece of analysis. I'm just sort of, you know, want to say Oh, oh thanks. <laughs> no, I interrupted you, but I'm not, that's, this, is, this is brilliant. I don't know. I just think that I just, I'm sick of this, um, this either or situation. Do you know what I think it's going to happen? I think this is a parallel I could draw. And just to add to your point, just add another analogy or parallel. It's like YouTube versus traditional TV or radio where, you know, and podcasts where you have today program and like, you have people wittering on on question time. And instead of actually like protesting, young people just left mm-hmm. and YouTube became this whole other ecosystem, which is incredibly powerful. Like the YouTube network, there's some of the stuff these people are doing, incredible. Some of the activism is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's happening completely parallel channel and of older people it's like, oh, YouTube, what's that? Kids watching on their phones. And actually it's a huge political force. And, I'm actually excited, to be honest. I'm excited by, you know, I feel there's almost a a democratization Mm. of what's happening. And don't get me wrong, there's there's a, YouTube has its own problems and these other networks have the problems. But in terms of the women's game, the things that set it back for so long, forcing it to start from scratch, actually might serve it, as as you rightly say, really well in the long term. And what's so exciting, you know, the Common Goal uh, Initiative that Mm -hmm. Ben Miller's been a part of for such a long time now, the last few years now. um, What's exciting about the Common Goal Initiative is you saw women's activism. You saw mm-hmm. how women were really straight in there. Like Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan, I think they were two of the first four people to sign up for it. And yeah. now I think the gender split is 50-50 because yeah. women get it. Women understand a lot of them are close to the breadline. A lot of them are like world-class professionals having to have like you know, two, three jobs to maintain, you know, playing football. So I think it's a, the social responsibility um, that we're seeing in the women's game mm-hmm. Will be better for football as a whole.
2: Yeah, definitely, and and that's because you know even the top level women athletes own a fraction of the top level men athletes in 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 football, and that's obviously to do with, as well at the moment the amount of money that's within those kind of various areas of the yeah. game, and that's the thing. It's kind of you know it's TV and it's and it's um, profile and boot sponsorship and stuff like this, and it's in in the women's super league, for example, in the UK in in England. Sorry, then um, you know Man City deserve a lot of credit here because. They've built, um, you know, the, the the city campus or what is it? The Etihad campus now or something where they have, you know, it's really close to the stadium um, or it surrounds the kind of area where the stadium is in, um, the Etihad Stadium. And it has the training ground, the youth set up, the, um, the men's team, the women's team and the a couple of other stadiums there where the women have their own home stadium. But it's right next to the, the, the Etihad Stadium.
1: That is a club that's done some serious future proofing. For sure. And obviously serious,
2: the you know, the where the money comes from and the way it's well, rooted and all this lot in terms well, of sponsorship, exactly, yeah. well, it absolutely. gets, you know, yeah. murky. But in terms of how they've used that, yeah, then I think they've done it really well. Yeah. And, you know, Man City women really kick started, I think, this and I don't know as much about the kind of um, the timeline as, as people who obviously cover the, the, the women's super league massively. Yeah. But I do think that Man City have really raised the game over the last few years in England.
1: They have, absolutely. Um, before yeah. I forget, we're talking about the future of football. Segway, Sancho Corner. Anything to report from Mr. Sancho? Uh,
2: no, because they haven't played yet ahead of recording. Dortmund have got a Monday night game this week, which is obviously, I think, something that is going to stop very soon in the Bundesliga having been campaigned against by fans. Mm. And actually, something in La Liga as well. Uh, La Liga are in talks to get rid of Friday and Monday night games. Whilst we were recording, I saw that. So, you know, maybe it isn't all that bad. we we always do this when we do this kind of podcast and we win then we go but actually football is is great we just want it to
1: be even better I think we just really like football so we're going to watch it and consume it in almost any form it emerges
2: I reckon we should go for a break and then um, call Semra talk La Liga I think we should let's do it
1: So we are joined by a special guest, the wonderful Semra Hunter from La Liga TV to discuss the goings-on this weekend in La Liga. Hi, Semra.
0: Hi, Musa. How are you?
1: <laughs> Hi, yes. Ryan's here too. Thank you for joining us. A real pleasure to have you on the podcast.
0: Well, thank you very much to both of you for having me. It really is a pleasure to be on here and to, to speak to both of you.
1: Oh, thank you. Well We'll, we'll jump right in, actually. We'll start with <laughs> Girona defeat Real Madrid 2-1 at the Bernabéu. That's wild.
0: Yes. It was wild. It really, really was wild. I think it blew away everybody's expectations because I think, you know, even even on the show yesterday in the preview... I had Terry Gibson and Gian Balaguer on the show and I asked them, I said, you know, what do you think? Do you think this is just going to be on paper, you know, another relatively easy game for Madrid? They're second on the table. Girona are fighting for their lives. They have not won a game in, in, in 10 matches and, and so on and so forth. But my word, I don't think anybody expected <laughs> that to happen. <laughs> for Girona, it really was a game of two halves. So let me rewind a little bit. That first half, everything seemed to go according to plan. Madrid were in control. They yep. were dominating the game. Gidon don't know. We're sitting back and defending. No real chances. A couple of them. Uh, Casemiro opens the scoring the 25th minute. They take an early lead. Everything seems to be, you know, as as you would have thought it would be. Eusebio's probably happy with this result at the moment. It's not too big of a gap. Uh, Madrid are probably feeling a bit comfortable. In a way, that's what happened going into that second half. They got a little bit complacent. Maybe right. they just figured they could kind of go into autopilot and they could just walk away with a 1-0 victory, maybe two, because they had some really good chances in the first few minutes of that second half that they just didn't capitalize on when they, when they should have. And also, I think, massive credit to Eusebio to recognize the weaknesses of Madrid. He made two changes, two tactical changes. And effectively, what he was trying to do was to go after Marcelo in that left-back position. Because as we know, Marcelo loves to drift forward and he often leaves a lot of space behind him, which is where Girona were basically attacking at that point, going down well, both sides really, because Rodrigo as well wasn't exactly doing a a defensive job that he probably should have. But it was all Girona in that second half. I mean, they came out firing hard and really, I think, caught Madrid a bit by surprise. Duane hit the post once I think Porto also hit the post and then Hambo Madrid oh it was, it was Ramos wasn't Ramos? it Ramos, yeah. Ramos my goodness so that was the moment that changed the whole game
1: I think that I think that actually Sergio Ramos is one of the few footballers whose career is actually a soap opera like <laughs> he is such an endlessly entertaining character you, I don't know if you what would at- you
0: call it what would you call it if you if you had a soap opera
1: you just call it the Sopranos you just call it season 7. You'd be like, "Oh, this is what happened like after the blackout and this is like Tony's cousin. <laughs> this is like Tony's cousin in like over in like a state like I don't know, uh, Michigan. Like the Mif- the Michigan mafia. Oh, this was this was this was happening while New Jersey was having a war with New York. This was happening in Michigan and this is like, you know, Sergio Soprano. He's like a super he's like a cartoon villain but also a super villain. He's wild.
2: Can I butt in here because yeah. uh, I please don't do. want to take up too much of Semra's time Sorry, so I'm going to wheel it back <laughs> no, in no no
0: worries Sorry. please
2: Semra you're someone who's seen a hell of a lot of Real Madrid yes. over the last few years I've got to credit the Spanish football podcast for this tweet because I hadn't clocked this but they posted a couple of tweets yesterday that said Girona joined Real Sociedad Levante Villarreal Barca and Betis as teams who have beaten Real Madrid at the Bernabeu in the league in the last two seasons My God! and to give it context before that only Barca and Atleti had beaten Real at the Bernabeu in the league in the previous five years oh my god
0: I'm gonna add I'm gonna add one more stat to this I saw yesterday as well Girona are the only team apart from Barcelona in the last decade that have come from behind to beat Real Madrid at the Santiago Bernabeu. The last time, I think, was Mallorca in 2009.
1: Wow. Semra, that's why you get the big bucks. That's an incredible stat. Uh, that is an incredible stat. <laughs> thank you, wow. thank
0: you. I do what I can, you know, I do what I can wow. <laughs> to that's, find really is, that's cool next level. Fascinating stats.
1: That's next level.
2: So, I mean, I kind of wanted to ask you, how have things changed? I mean, obviously, we know they've had, just, uh, they had the struggles earlier on in the season with Lopetegui. They had a real struggle with goals and actually, they're still struggling with goals, really. I think I believe Benzema is still the only player in double figures, although that might have changed since I last checked. Um, yeah,
0: I think, I think that's right. And, and funny enough, I like to bring this up sometimes too, the the other highest scoring striker, if you will, from Madrid is actually playing down the road at uh, Rayo Vallecano, which is Valde <laughs> Tomas. Whoa, that's interesting. So, nice
1: you well. know, he's on
0: them this season. They yeah. could have, could maybe bring him back in the summer. I'm not sure that they will, but. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they definitely are having a lot of struggles.
1: Semra, yeah. I want to throw this in as well. This is not for you to speculate, but I get the feeling they're trying to get Bale out of there because I've just noticed the last couple of weeks talking about oh he's not integrating, like stuff is leaking out about Bale that you know this right. is this is not news about him not speaking Spanish or whatever, but it just feels like it was fine when everyone was winning and whatever, but now that he's not producing the goals in the vital games, the close games, I wonder if that discontent is being allowed to bubble out. I know that rail, everything leaks out now and again, but I just, I just look at it and go, how much, how much time does he have at that club? And do they really want, I don't know. I'm not spec, I don't ask you to speculate.
0: No, no. no. I, you know what? I think it's, it's, it is kind of a loaded question and I'll try to answer this as best as I, as I possibly can. I definitely think that he's caught in the crossfires in a much bigger war let's say between the media and Florentino Perez Mm, if that makes sense so I think whenever the media Spanish media in particular get upset with Madrid or they get upset with Florentino Perez they try to attack Gareth Bale that's and whenever things are actually going well and the relationship is you know rainbows and flowers and everything is beautiful wonderful between the two then they tend to support Gareth Bale So I think at times they're overly critical of him when he doesn't deserve it. Yeah. And then I think sometimes they actually are rather accurate whenever they do need to criticize him like anybody else, you know? Right. You know, so this rumour of him being pushed out or leaving the club, it certainly has been going on pretty much since day one since he arrived. Yeah. But he's such a tricky one, you know, because he obviously delivers when he needs to. He steps up in the big games, he scores in the big games, and he often gives them trophies (laughs) trophies <laughs> those mm-hmm. those right. goals translate into trophies or titles so I think he obviously has been plagued by so many injuries since he's been at Real Madrid it's constantly out injured with either minor or serious ones but it's almost like now he'd be better as like a as a super sub you know maybe not starting maybe not playing the full 90 minutes and just coming on Maybe the last 30 minutes or so, whenever they really need him. Just maybe trying to use him in a different way, if that makes sense. You know, it's also a business. Football's a business this day and age, you know. And also depends on if Madrid want to sell him now because they think they can get the biggest buck for him in the summer. Or if they feel they want to keep him because they can use him, you know, next season. So it's always a tough one with Bale. But let, let,
1: let's skip on to uh, Villarreal, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, the, no. the, the, the big story of the weekend.
2: This is the big game, isn't it? In my household. Yeah. You know, so so Villarreal, they're having a tricky season. Yeah. Let's say, yeah. you know, um, they beat Sevilla 3-0 to bring them within a point of getting out of the relegation zone in La Liga. They're still in the bottom three, but they're only a point away now. Weird story because, you know, you had your pronunciation of this will be much better than mine, but Javier Kalea. <laughs> how's that? Kaleja. Oh, there you go. He was fired in December and then reinstated or got his job back after they fired the, another coach very recently. I mean, he's only been back in the job a few games now, but have you seen any improvement there or they were really struggling?
0: There's a long way to answer this. I'll try to be as short uh, and pointed as possible. First of all, Really curiously, that was the second time that a team that was fighting for its life, either in relegation zone or just outside of it, beat a team in the top four, which was Girona being Real Madrid and Villarreal beating Sevilla, which made the day in itself a lot more fun, a lot more entertaining, especially if you love everything that's happening in the league this season, because yes. it's just been absolute madness and, and- In craziness, but really enjoyable. To answer your first part of the question, yes, I do think that in Calleja's second stint, they are looking a bit better. He's changed things around since he's been back. They kept two clean sheets in a row, I think it was. They beat Celtic in the Europa League Mm midweek, which also helped. And then they completely dispatched Sevilla. I mean, they they were brilliant. Could have been probably four or five against them. Yes. They played with so much confidence and so much belief in themselves, which was really nice to see because this was a squad that in the summer when it was assembled, we thought, wow, this team is going to be fantastic this Mm. season. I mean, they're going to be fighting for European spots, no question. And yet they've massively disappointed and nobody can really quite put their finger on what has gone so wrong for them because they have so much talent and depth in that squad. But things with Calleja that first time around, clearly they just weren't clicking, they weren't working. And then when they brought in the new manager for, I think it was 50 days, seven weeks, something like that, (laughs) clearly things were still not working. It didn't have that new manager effect that they were hoping that it would have. And then they brought Kai back. So obviously they felt that he is the right man to to turn things around. And it does seem as though now that would be the case. Because you look at Celta, for example, they look like a team who have just completely given up. And they are another team that we thought in the summer, they have a great squad. They'll be fighting for European spots, you know, historically playing uh, or finishing in the top half of the table. And yet they look completely deflated Mm. and defeated. And, you know, you heard, I think it was Hugo Mayo coming out and complaining a couple of weeks ago about how the team were doing and, and how badly they were playing and how things were not working. They, to me, look much more like a team that is sealed in their fate to drop. Right. To the mm. second division, then Villarreal. Villarreal yesterday looked like they have so much fighting spirit in them that they are going to fight tooth and nail to survive and to stay in the top flight. And if they manage it, then they deserve it.
1: That's really exciting. It's funny because you look at the kind of the Jardim bounce, you know, it happened in Monaco, didn't it? They got rid of Jardim, brought in Henri. Exactly, they brought team back. And actually, there's almost a thinking of, maybe we should have given this guy just longer to work it out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know. fact, it's really <laughs> odd that, that that two
2: instances of that quite strange situation have happened really soon of each other. It's wild, isn't it? It is really weird. It's
0: really wild. Yeah. Um, I
1: think it speaks to the nature of football. And we're going to come very quickly. We're going to do a quick segue into Barcelona. But just to stay with this point about, you know, it is football. It's a, it's a results-driven business. It's commercial pressure. And you can see how a board might blink when they see a team plummeting down the table and all these intangible things haven't clicked with the squad. It's tempting to kind of, you know, the knee jerk has changed the manager, but actually it's have the guts to give them a chance, you know, a couple more months.
2: Mm. Yeah. Before we go on to the contract renewals of Valverde and Simeone, we had a question on Twitter because we put out a thing for questions on the podcast and there was one about Betis, which I thought I'd ask from Jack Crowley. Who said um, are Betis a case of style over substance? They're great to watch and tactically interesting and significant, but they seem to throw easier games and never build up ahead of steam results wise.
0: I will admit, I have this season in particular. I've really come to like Betis a lot, mostly because I love Joaquin. I think Joaquin is just yes, he's amazing. Ah, yeah.
1: Joaquin is he life. He
0: is. He is just. I mean, he just brings such another dimension to the league. You know his his persona, his character, his personality. Anyway. I could, I could go on about fucking, but yes, to answer the question, (laughs) they are a team that also really frustrate me because, yeah, it's, it's true. They do seem to throw these games when they shouldn't. And yet they beat Barcelona at their own game at the Camp Nou. And mm. you, you you kind of, you're left scratching your head a little bit and you're thinking, wow, at times they are so brilliant. They are so clinical. They're fun to watch. They're, they're great at the possession game. I mean, obviously everyone uh, has talked about Kike Sopien as a possible replacement for, for Barcelona because it kind of fits the mould in terms of that tiki-taka style of play, that possession-based style. But he can't seem to consistently get these results. I think they haven't won back-to-back games since December in the league or something like that. Mm. So they're quite irregular. And it's a bit confusing as to why. Because, again, they're another team that have really good players. But they have struggled up front. All season.
2: Well, they went through that run, didn't they? Where they were they were creating a lot, not scoring, but keeping yes. a lot of clean sheets. And they went through this little run where they couldn't stop scoring, but couldn't stop conceding at the other <laughs> end. And <laughs> yeah, it was just exactly. this, like, guys, come on, like, please figure this out because it's yeah. kind of like they can't quite
1: get that formula right. Can I be honest with you both? A- <laughs> amazing goal scoring just hides a multitude of sins. Yeah. If you brought in a stone cold like assassin of a striker,
0: and that's why I'm a little bit. Also, I don't know if the word's frustrated, but the fact that they signed Hesse on loan, I mean, why? He, I think he's scored, like, maybe five goals in the last two years or something like that, two and a half years, seasons. I mean, at Stoke, at Las Palmas, I mean, he's hardly scored anything. And he's certainly not that lethal poacher type that you're talking about that they need to have. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure I understand why they decided to bring him in, because they really should have brought somebody in that is already scoring bucket loads of balls that you say maybe in the lower leagues or right.
1: or, or, or elsewhere. We'll, we'll jump onto the renewals for Simeone and Valverde. Valverde I find more intriguing because he was almost a manager who I felt kind of slightly run out of road at Barcelona. Mm. But you know, they kept him there. Smart yeah
0: I, I agree with you. I'm the two, I think he's more he's more interesting. Um, mostly because Barcelona fans, you really have to understand the psychology of Barcelona fans and of of the Catalan people. And I think it's quite different to most clubs out there around the world. They're incredibly demanding like many other clubs, but they're demanding in a way that may not make sense to a lot of uh, people, which is that they would prefer to lose but play beautiful football than to win and play unattractive football. So people may think, okay, this, is, this doesn't make any sense. This is bonkers, you know? You, you have a guy like Valverde who came in in his first season last year. He won a double. And this season, he's on track to winning a treble. And he's got a fantastic win rate as well, I think. And he's been in charge for 97 games. I think it is 66 wins, 22 draws, 9 losses, uh, something like that. Yeah. I mean, he's got a 70-something percent win rate. I mean. <laughs>
1: I you think him, people will be chomping
0: him. at the bit to have a, a manager like that in charge yeah. of your team you know but it's really been divided opinion over here because people are not happy with the way that he plays football it may not be the prettiest but it's effective and it's efficient you know we saw against by league this weekend not to go too, too far in the past that they got the job done it was not the best barcelona that we've seen um, at times you could see moments of brilliance but at Most of it, it seemed a bit disjointed and it was true that he had made quite a lot of substitutions and that seems to happen whenever he makes substitutions, Mm. but people are not happy because they want to be wowed. they want to be dazzled they want to watch this beautiful football um it's it's so curious it's 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 quite curious and i think most of people thought that valverde was going to leave in the summer either by choice right or that the club were going to usher him out and i think many were surprised at the timing of the contract renewal as well because he hasn't won anything at this season, but he is still alive in all three competitions. So I think people expected to wait, or the board to wait, to finally make a decision.
1: Sorry to jump in, Summer, but is it not just me? But did Barca not absolutely destroy Real Madrid in the Clasico just a couple of months back?
0: Like, yes, and, yes, that is also very true. You
1: know, I mean, <laughs> this is the thing, I and mean, they've just signed Frankie de Jong, Like, and there's a lot of things Valverde has done that, to my mind, have actually been quite novel, quite innovative. Mm,
0: um, I think fans in this day and age are spoiled in the sense that they're so used to winning over the last decade, both for Madrid and Barcelona, that they've become, they almost take it for granted, let's put it that way, because it's not the same Barcelona or Madrid now as it was in 2008, 2009 to 2012. I mean, the Iniestas, he's moved on, Xavi has moved on, Puyol has moved on, and the rest of them that are, are still there, the Messis, the Busquets, uh, the PKs, they are aging. You right. know, they're now in their thirties. This is not the team from ten years ago when they were young and they were super talented. They all came through the La Masia together. They've been playing together for twenty years. You can't compare what was happening back then to what's happening now. They're bringing Vidal or Paulinho or these players from from South America that have never come through that system, and they offer something completely different to what Barça fans. Are used to. And so I think they're not quite happy because they say, oh, you know, Vidal's not a Barcelona player. Paulinho's not a Barcelona player, which is why they really like Artur, for example, because Mm. they feel like he's much more akin to a Xavi Hernandez, even though he didn't come through the system because they obviously, they just brought him in six months ago. But a lot of people like him or, or Alenia because he came through obviously the yeah. system as well, they like him more than Vidal or than Coutinho or you know what I mean. So of it's course. it's yes. fascinating. I
2: mean, also I think they've kind of you know they've made probably the most Barça signing or Cruyffian signing for a, a long, long, long time. With, yes, with with with, yes. Fran- with Frankie, who I can't I can't remember seeing anyone as Cruyffian as De Jong No, you're right. In my you're lifetime. Right.
0: No, you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head. And, and he's actually the one signing I think they've had in a long time that have actually really excited the Barcelona fan base because of the fact that you know he comes from Ajax, the fact that he is so similar to the, to, to the Croix style of football. You know, he's Dutch, he's got all these links and, and so on and so forth. I think they're really, really, really looking forward to him coming, which means potentially that we see, you know, the likes of Ivan Rakitic, for example, leaving in the summer.
1: Right. Oh, that's or,
0: yeah. or who knows? Maybe even Vidal. Or so we'll see. I think uh, it's definitely changing. It's transforming. It's developing. It's trying to find its new identity in a way, but still at the same time sticking to its roots and to its DNA and. And Frankie De Jong is a perfect example of a player that fits that specific kind of mold.
2: Speaking of uh, sticking to DNA, Simeone's re upped at Atleti, or Atleti have re upped on Simeone, however you want to look at it. <laughs> very different reaction to Valverde.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very different reaction. Um, he's been at the club, I think it's eight seasons now. He joined in December 2011. That first season they won the Europa League in 2012, I mean, he's won seven trophies overall, like two Incredible. Champions League finals, Incredible. he's completely revitalized in such a dramatic way this Atletico Madrid side. Yeah. The season they're obviously not having their best, I would actually say probably the worst season under uh, Simeone since he's taken over. Yeah. They're not as frightening as they used to be. So to be fair, they've had so many injuries, especially in defense, which is what their specialty is. Mm. But yeah, the fan base is very different over there. And I think they're so thrilled to have somebody who's come in, who embodies what it is to be Atletico, Madrid, uh, to be a colchonero, to have played for the club. Um, he's like their leader, mm. you know, the choloismo, this, this belief in, in, in him. And, and there was definitely talk of whether he had sort of lost his touch this season, if it was better for him and for the club to move on. Uh, if it was sort of the end of an era for him or for the club, maybe they should bring somebody in to kind of reignite that spark but clearly in the end the club believe in him and it backed him and he also said that he's staying because of the players because he believes in the players and he feels that it's an exciting project going forward until 2022 at the very least but it's it's incredible i mean it, it's such a massive feat what he's done considering you know we were talking about only moments ago about Calleja about this uh, rotating door of managers of clubs getting impatient or getting nervous if results aren't going their way and they're so quick to pull the trigger, but it's the opposite with him. And he's like, could be the next Arsene Wenger, you know? Mm. Uh, It's it's, it's incredible what he's been able to pull off. And if he stays and he completes that contract, he would be the second longest manager to stay at a club consecutively, I think it is, which would be 11 seasons, 10 years, after Miguel Munoz who was right, yeah. with Real yes. Madrid for 15 seasons from 1979, I think it was. No, 59 to 74,
1: mm, I think. That's incredible.
2: We joked just before we started recording about how you kind of don't even really need to check the Athletic score anymore. You kind of know it's going to...
0: Exactly. It's, to it's either kind of a draw one, or a 1-0. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and actually, the, it's, it's almost like as long as he keeps hating Real Madrid and Barcelona as much as he so blatantly does... And yeah. they'll deal with finishing second or third in the league. It's kind of like... Can I throw this in, actually? Can I just <laughs>
1: say one thing about Leti? Because I'm, I'm fascinated by them. I'm always interested in teams that don't manage to liberate their attackers. So no. the problem that Letty, I think, are having this year, and that he's had in his career, I think, Simeone, if this is maybe fair, is this balance between defence and attack. So someone like Thomas Lamar this, se- this season has really struggled. And I think mm. that's because Monaco, and he's a fabulous player, but Monaco just had so much more of the ball.
0: I agree with you 100% on that. And I think also the type of players are changing that Simeone is bringing in, right. um, if that makes any sense. Okay. Like you said, like you, you, that's why I think so, there's such a high turnover of especially attacking players at Atletico Madrid because Simeone doesn't necessarily have a lot of patience. And if you don't fit in straight away, within six months, you're out the door.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, whereas Griezmann is sort of this untouchable player that He's has been obviously given... Yeah, yeah. exactly. But you know, and then you have a Diego Costa type, who obviously is almost like a, a mere reflection of, of Diego Simeone in terms of personality and, and aggressiveness and 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 grits and, and hard working and, and so on. But there's so many players that have come through Atletico that just haven't worked out and have been
1: shipped out straight away. Um, um,
0: and yeah, I mean, because obviously it's much more a, a focused on defense, isn't it? Mm.
1: It's brutal. I mean, I, I, I love Atleti. And I, I'd love them to win. They keep you awake at night, don't they? I'd love them to win the Champions League. I just, I just love them in terms of the fact that, well, actually, specifically him because he, I think he's the best manager in the world. Oof. I think, yeah, do I think, you? Yeah, I think he is. I think he's the best. I think if you look at what he's given to work with, um, if you look at his uh, the disadvantage compared to other, you know, financially other managers, sure. what he's achieved, to win that league, I think the La Liga triumph that Atleti pulled off in this era. Will go down as one of the greatest Lager triumphs ever, mm-hmm. considering what he was up against. To go there and do that, you know, with Gabby scoring that goal at the camp now, no. in that context, I think it's, well, I think he's the best manager in the world at the moment. do you think he'll do it again? Um, I don't know if he'll win the league again, but I mean, I would love him from the Champions League just to kind of round off this chapter. I really wish they'd won that one in when it was the La Decima final. Yeah. yeah. Me too. That, well, was that was the cruel. one it was
2: where cruel. it was like,
0: it It was cruel
2: it was very cruel Um, right we should let you go yeah we should let you go (laughs) (laughs) people can find you on La Liga TV and on Twitter at Semra Hunter right yes Semra thanks so much thank
0: you for having me
2: right we're back from the break quickly before we go because we're running long this week sure questions I have got such a good question. Who's it from? It's from Dr. Liz Harvey Cato. Oh. And she says, "Could you say more on Everton's catfish nature? It makes me <laughs> laugh and my husband say we're just the laughing stock of the Premier League, aren't we?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh no. The four, passport. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the catfish. <laughs> oh my. Oh wow. No, no, you know what? The husband it's not it's not that the, the... <sighs> Poor Everton. Look, it's not a laughing stock. It's more like, um, actually, let me just be honest. So what it, what it is, what it is, is Everton have that thing where you're almost like best of the rest. So there's, there's only so far you can go without either significant investment or a coach who is absolutely out of this world, you know, world class, unless you have a Diego Simeone, basically. The only way Everton break into that upper pack is with a Diego Simeone. and Marco Silva isn't that.
2: Do you know what? Can I just, uh, this is never going to happen probably. Right. Exactly. Can you say that? That's not good English. Is it never going to happen probably? Well, you've said uh, it. Definitely so it's, maybe. We've done, we're done um, it, haven't we? Simeone
1: at Everton. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? That would be actually perfect. Can you imagine? That would be perfect. Culturally, that would be perfect. Do you know what? With with 60,000, with a stadium, 60,000 capacity, Simeone, oh my God. nobody would want that problem. Oh Listen, my God. Do you know what? That would be a game changer. Simeone yeah. Everton, give him three years and just say, listen.
2: So there you are, Liz. We've uh, we've gone through the future of football and we've solved Everton's catfish listen. problem
1: by appointing you go from a Diego Simeone. <laughs> That'd be a piranha. That would right there. So uh, the, let, let's just break down the catfish. Okay, let me just break down the catfish because we haven't really done it properly. We have to just get on this. The catfish, it's a deceptive, a team which actually should be more wonderful. It is, you look at it on paper, like, oh my God, that team, that team's going to be the death star. And you... You know, you'll travel over land and sea, you know, thousands of miles to watch it and you get there, like, Oh, this is a, it's not what was envisaged.
2: It's essentially like uh like the programme, right? So it's like it's not what they appear to be. Yeah, in Everton or know. A
1: Catfish, because you look at all those players, Gomesh, Sigurdsson, Theo. Hey, don't hang on Theo. Listen, listen, but he does have he does have you're form in my house here. He does have form at turning up at catfish outfits.
2: Oh, Theo's the leader of the catfish army.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> he's team captain at least. You know. I mean, I, I'm a I love Theo Walcott, but you know, Belgium were a catfish until this World Cup. Absolutely, the last World Cup they pulled well 2014. They were a liability. Yeah. To be fair to them,
2: uh, should we do another question?
1: Yes, absolutely. I enjoyed that. I hope Liz. I hope you got your fill. There. Your poor <laughs> husband. Listen, wherever he may be, like it's all love.
2: I like yeah. the fact that you qualified that Everton weren't the laughing stock of the Premier League by completely pissing yourself for like five minutes
1: <laughs> whilst <the> talking.
2: <laughs> I don't think they're the laughing stock of the Premier League. I think no. I think. Um, no, I, when I laugh at things, think, that's just me being.
1: That's just me on one. It's not, you know.
2: I think Arsenal. The laughing problem. Actually, on laughs. Before we move on, we got a thing about your laugh to last week's podcast. Really, I'm heavily considering <laughs> releasing a bonus podcast, which a is just a, a mega mix of your laughs. You know taken what's going to happen the, though. You know what's the... going to
1: happen with that. Someone's going to find it, turn it to a meme.
2: And also, it'll probably be the most. It'll probably be the first time I get a sponsored show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Another question from Luke Castro. Is there really a lack of centre-backs or are there a lack of traditional tough tackling centre-backs? Surely playing a physical centre-back next to a DMS dribbler passer should be the formula against low blocks or one recognised striker which is more popular than ever?
1: I don't think there is a shortage of centre-backs. I think what's happened is the way that tactics are and the expectations on centre-backs are such that they look less physical than they are. I don't think they're less physical. I mean, you look at this era, look at Chiellini and this, these, these are hard players. I don't, think so- I don't think Stones is weak. I don't think Laporte, I, think- I don't think these players are weak. I think what's happened is that different parts of the game are emphasised. So the types of confrontation and challenge that you saw before don't happen as much. The interactions don't happen as much. Now it's much more interceptions and second guessing because if you play as open as those old teams did, those teams were open you get absolutely buried, and even the pass back rule, the pass back rule has created so much more jeopardy for goalkeepers. Before, you didn't have to be a good footballer. Mm-hmm. Now you've got to find a way to play the ball out. If you just hack the ball clear, you won't get it back for two minutes. This thing about ball circulation, um, different skills have now been prioritised for the centre back. Doesn't mean they haven't got them. Mm. I would not fancy going into. Well, I'm who the hell am I? But I'm not. I'm not sure that a lot of these major strikers would particularly relish going into full board challenge with with Laporte.
2: I think with the with the center back thing, I just think it's how you define physicality really. So do you define physicality as something where someone will just like, you know, leave one in on someone, right? Or be up for a ruck or do you define physicality as someone who is like an athlete, like a more of an athlete? I think that center backs I think that are of the technical level and the physical level of midfielders and strikers now because you just have to be the whole game has been coming so quick and the way that the laws of the game have changed is that you have to be physical in a different way you can't just fly in all the time you can't rely on smashing someone in order to stop an attack or something because if you do it in the way you used to it's a straight red so you have to use the physicality in other ways where it's like timing or you know Uh, pacing yourself in terms of when you're tracking someone and stuff like that that's just my my two points uh, that's
1: absolutely right and I want to add before I forget I would contrast it with Rugby League and Rugby Union Rugby Union more stoppages Mm -hmm. so you can hammer somebody because the game will stop now I mean mean, Chabi Alonso came to the Premier League and he was horrified by the way we revere slide tackles the Premier League because Mm -hmm. he said you slide you're, you're on the ground and then they can leap into the space behind you you stay on your feet and the way that physicality works now it's about more like Rugby League where it's many more high-intensity contacts over a longer period. Centre-backs have to cover a wider area. You look at Gerard Piquet as a modern centre-back and Samuel Antitti at Barca. They have, to co- they have to cover such a huge area. It's why Lovren has been looked... Has looked. It's why Dejan Lovren has been exposed so many times mm-hmm. for space. And it's why um, Van Dijk is a remarkable player because he can cover this ground. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a really rare player. Like There's very few players of van dyke's size and speed mm-hmm. like he, he's a you know he's a freak of nature in terms of the technique the speed the power the vision the distribution that it really exist apart from him so i just think that the workload of center backs has to be recognized mm. that they're much more as you say like sort of triathletes they don't seem as big but i'm pretty sure if you if you ran into one of these players it'd be like running to a truck
2: mm. you know um so you're saying basically that the the premier League. Was rugby union and is now rugby league.
1: Yes. Do you know what? That's actually an article to write, isn't it?
2: We're gonna have to go. We're running super long. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, thanks to everyone for sending questions. Um, sorry, we didn't get through all of them. We'll we'll pick them up next week.
1: Thanks to Semra for joining us. Um, and also, can I say thanks most of all to the listeners. OMG, the listeners, thank you so much. You can find us all social media channels. Same you can, handle. You can, sorry, I'm gonna cut
2: before you go, Listen. you can't see this, but Moose is it's almost like he's on stage actually shouting you all out. He's like looking out to the distance. It's like exactly. Yo, shout out to the listeners shout at the back. Out, yes, exactly. Um let's get out of here.
1: Let's go. See you next week. Ciao. <laughs>